Now, brothers and sisters, if you will, take out your Bibles with me, or if you uh, would like to use a copy of Scripture on the pew in front of you, and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 38 here in just a moment. Mark 12, verses 38 to the end of the chapter. That's going to be our text today. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes church can feel fake. Sometimes it can. I mean, it does to me sometimes. Sometimes church can feel fake. It feels like we have to put on our happy face, whether we're happy or not. When people come up and shake our hand and say, how are you doing? A lot of times we say, great, I'm doing great, even if we're not. I feel it as a minister. I'm human. Sometimes I I don't have life altogether. Sometimes things aren't going so well, even in my own life. And then I have to come lead a prayer, preach a sermon, act like I'm feeling close to God if I'm not that particular day. It feels like that sometimes. It's easy to be happy and joyful when we come to church, when life is going great and your love for God is overflowing. It's not so easy when life stinks and it seems like God is not listening or you're just not feeling it that morning. And so the temptation is to fake it. Fake it till you make it. Now, I don't want to make anyone feel guilty here. There is a sense in which all of us, when we come to church, even if we are feeling down, we we come not just for ourselves, we come for our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a sense in which it's good that, that we come together and we ask others how they are doing, even when we're not feeling up for it ourselves. There's an unselfishness there that is God-honoring and good for the church. There's even a way to fake it till you make it, which is very good. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity one time that, that, that there's a good faking it to where when we don't feel particularly loving and friendly, we act like it around others until pretty soon we are indeed feeling that way, that way that we know that we should. But there, there is also this sense sometimes that it feels like I'm putting on a face. It feels like I'm acting like, like a, a person in a movie, like an actor or an actress in a movie. Years ago, a man by the name of John Piper wrote a book addressed to ministers, and the title was, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. We are not professionals. His main point was that ministers are not the pro-Christians while everyone else is an amateur. In that book, he wrote, For there is no professional childlikeness. There is no professional tenderheartedness. There is no professional panting after God. The world sets the agenda for the professional man. God sets the agenda for the spiritual man. And it's that last phrase right there that that really applies to what we're looking at today. Who sets the agenda for the way that you practice your religion? Who sets the agenda for your life? Who sets the agenda for what you do when you're here or for what you are doing when you're on your own when it comes to religion? Are you living for the praise of men or for the praise of God? Let's read our text today, 
Follow along with me in your copy of scripture, if you will. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. This is God's word. Mark writes, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers." they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, many of you won't remember this, I know, but more than a year ago, in January of 2023, right before we began the book of Mark, right before we began the very first chapter, the first verse, we had a sermon on giving. I like to do a sermon on giving every January, and last year, January 2023, The sermon on giving came from this text of the widow's offering, verses 41 through 44. And so I'm going to spend most of my time today on verses 38 through 40. The the widow's offering passage will factor in. But if you want to hear a full treatment of verses 41 through 44, you can go back on our website into our sermon archives or on our podcast and find that there. So I'm going to focus mostly on verses 38 through 40 today with a a little bit factoring in from verses 41 through 44 because there is a connection there. But this morning from our text, I want to show you first what it looks like when we seek the praise of others. And then after that, I want to look at the kind of person that God praises. So first, what does it look like when we are seeking the praise of others? Notice in verses 38 through 40 how Jesus describes the scribes, those scribes who were the experts in the word of God. Notice what they were doing. He says, beware of those people, those scribes who walk around in long robes. Now, this was a way, a way to dress ostentatiously so that people would look at them and say, oh, aren't they holy? Look at what they wear. It was a, a sign of authority. It was, it was to make people look at them and praise them. It's the exact opposite of modesty. You know, modesty in the way that we dress and the way that we present ourselves isn't just a thing that, that ladies need to focus on. It's, it's for anybody. Modesty is all about not drawing everyone else's attention to you in the way that you present yourself, in the way that you dress. That's what they were doing. It says they, they loved greetings in the marketplaces. They loved to be greeted. They, they love to be seen as the holy authority for the area and people recognized them and they, they, they took great pride in that. Verse 39, it says they had the best seats in the synagogues, the places of honor at feasts. In verse 40, it says they, they devoured widows' houses. Now, we don't know everything there is to know about what exactly this means, but it seems clear there was something about how they would take advantage of widows in their vulnerability. 
And they, they, would, they would try to perhaps even take their houses away from them for, for money. Perhaps it was money for the, the, the treasury of the, the religious leaders and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the councils. And so you've got that going on. And then at the end of verse 40, it says, for a pretense, they make long prayers. For a pretense, they make long prayers. Now, it was a couple months ago when Mary Keene came up to me after the service and said, you got to hear what Glenn said this morning. A couple months ago. So I guess this was a couple, maybe it was before Christmas or something like that. I was apparently starting my pastoral prayer and said, you know, dear Lord or something. And then apparently Glenn leaned over to his grandma and said, this is going to take forever. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It's wonderful. Kids are awesome. But one of the things that, that we have to be careful of, that I have to be careful of, is that you know, we, can, we can make long prayers for the wrong reasons here, right? To make, a, to make a long prayer in and of itself isn't necessarily sinful, but to do it as a pretense. Pretense just means fake. It's, it, you, you're doing it for the, the wrong reason. It's not to commune with the Lord. It's, it's to make everybody think you're so holy. And so that's, that's one that I have to, to watch out for. Prayer is about communion with God. E.M. Bounds is a, a man who used to write a lot about prayer in his lifetime. And he, he tells a story in one of his books about a French man named Marquise de Renty, who lived in the 1800s. And so one day, Marquise de Renty was beginning his prayer time, and he had a servant. And he said to his servant, come call me at the end of half an hour. I'm going to pray, come get me at the end of half an hour. Well, 30 minutes went by, his servant, come, his servant comes back and sees through, through a crack in the door, he sees Dorenti's face. And he said it was marked with such holiness and such an all-consuming concentration that he, he couldn't bear to interrupt his master at prayer right there. And so he waited. He, in fact, he waited three hours. And he came back at the end of three hours and then got Dorenti and, and called him. And Dorenti got up off of his knees and said, has it been in half an hour already? And he, he was so consumed by his communion time with God, that the time that he was spending with the Lord, that three hours went by and he thought it hadn't even been 30 minutes. Now, for most of us, three hours in prayer seems ridiculous. For most of us, that seems impossible. And if we had to spend three hours in prayer, it would not feel like 30 minutes. It would feel like six hours. For most of us, right? But, but, have you ever had an experience where you were praying and perhaps you, you thought it had only been two or three minutes and you looked up and it, it had been 15? Have you ever gotten lost in communion with God? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? Do you know what that's like? Brothers and sisters, what an indictment on our modern Christianity. What an indictment on our pursuit of God today that many believers today have no idea what it is like to be lost in communion with God. And that is because many, many, many believers today have no prayer time of their own. They, they, they just don't spend time with the Lord in prayer. And so because of that, they don't know what that's like to be lost in communion one-on-one, -on -one, privately with God. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you today. If that's you, if you feel like, I, I, I don't have a prayer life with the Lord, 
If you give to God just a portion of your day, a small portion of your day, and you say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord here, reading the Bible and spend time in prayer. It's not just prayer when I'm driving. It's not just prayer when I'm mowing the grass. It's, it's my prayer time. I'm focused in it. If you do that consistently, pretty soon you too will learn the deep and abiding joy of being lost in communion with the Lord. But back to these scribes. Jesus says, beware of them. Why? Because their religion was a performance for the praise of others. Their religion was a performance for the praise of others. And so number one today, we need to beware of having this kind of heart. Each and every one of us needs to beware of having this kind of heart. We might not be wearing long robes. We might not be looking for the best seats in church. We might not be devouring the houses of widows. But make no mistake, this very thing is still a danger for all of us today. Is your religion a performance for the praise of others? Ask yourself that question. This is, not, this is not right now, this is not about your neighbor. This is not about that person that you might be thinking of. What about you? Are, you? are you courageous enough to ask this dangerous question to yourself and be honest with yourself? Is your religion a performance for the praise of others? Let me give you a diagnostic test here. Now, this, this isn't 100% accurate. So just because you might fit in this category doesn't automatically mean you're here. But Listen to this diagnostic test and ask yourself if this is you. If you have really good church attendance, but you have no private life with the Lord at all, this might be you. If if your attendance at church is really good and you have no private life with the Lord, this could be you. This might be something that you need to take a hard look at in your own heart. But notice what our text actually says. Notice what Jesus actually said here. He didn't actually say, beware of becoming like this yourself. That's the implication. But what he said was, beware of people who are like this. Beware of others who are like this. Jesus is not just saying, beware of becoming like this yourself. He's saying, beware of others who are like this. Now, here we need to be careful. We need to be very careful because Jesus' teaching was full of admonitions not to be judgmental, right? We, We cannot be judgmental as Christians. We have no right to sit in judgment upon someone else to sit in the place of God over their lives. But even though we're not to be judgmental, there are still times in the Bible where God tells us to avoid certain types of people. We can't get around that. If you you square up to the Bible, you will find God telling us to avoid certain types of people at times. For example, in Titus 3, Paul says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them again and after that have nothing to do with them. A divisive person, a person who stirs up division in the church. And so here, Jesus tells the people of this crowd, he's teaching to a crowd here, and he says, beware of those who perform their religion for the praise of men. Beware of them. Why? Because if you don't, you might become like that yourself. You might lose your perspective to see the hypocrisy in it. 
And instead of seeing it for what it is, you might begin to be deceived and to think that that's what religion is all about, getting the praise of other people. This can happen in churches. This can happen in in churches so easily. The leadership sets the tone in performing for the praise of men, and pretty soon the congregation takes on that characteristic as well. Kids, this applies to you. Kids, this is a lesson for every single one of you today, too. Kids, it is so important that you choose your friends carefully. It is so important to choose the people you hang around with carefully because, rest assured, you will become like the people you're around the most. Understand that. Uh, Adults need to understand that as well, well, but especially our, our, our children growing up, kids, Choose your friends so carefully because you will become like the people that you hang around with the most. They're going to have an effect on you. It can be really helpful this morning for us to imagine how might Jesus have, have put this same warning to us today. Because we, we don't live in the same time that they did. So we don't have scribes walking around. We don't have people who are, are, are wearing robes in our lives for this purpose or devouring the houses of widows perhaps. But how how would Jesus put this warning to us today? It can be helpful to think about that. Might Jesus have said to us, beware of the preachers who like to have their egos stroked by their their congregation, who like to be told how, how good of a sermon they did or how smart they are? Might Jesus have said, beware of the men who come to church because it's a good networking opportunity and because It gives them respect in the community. Might Jesus have said, beware of those who only follow Jesus when everyone is looking, in public, on social media, but they don't pursue him in private when only God sees. Might Jesus have said, beware of those who act one way on Sunday and another way Monday through Saturday. Might Jesus have said, beware of those who can point out why everyone else is wrong but you never hear them admitting to mistakes or confessing sins themselves. But remember also, brothers and sisters, beware of thinking that this is just about other people. That is always the danger when we hear a sermon to to automatically think, yeah, I know somebody else who needs to hear this one. Beware of thinking this is just about other people. What about you? Beware of seeing the speck in the eyes of everyone else while failing to notice the plank in your own. Now notice what Jesus says about these scribes at the very end of verse 40. At the very end of verse 40, he says something that's actually quite surprising. They will receive the greater condemnation. You see that? They will receive the greater condemnation. In other words, there are people who will receive not as much condemnation as these scribes. There are degrees of condemnation. Did you know that? There are actually, the Bible teaches that there are actually degrees of eternal punishment, that there will be degrees of condemnation on the judgment day. Let me show you what I mean. Listen to, to these words of Jesus from John nineteen ten through 11. Initially, we actually hear Pilate, the governor there speaking, and Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all 
unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Have you ever heard anybody say something like, all sins are the same in God's eyes? A sin is a sin is a sin. That is not what the Bible teaches, actually. Jesus here, right here, says to Pilate, you are in sin, but there, is, there, there are those who have a greater sin than yours. Or listen to Luke chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. Jesus says to his apostles that he is sending out on their missionary journey. He says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And then watch this. Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. More bearable on that day, meaning the day of judgment. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. Jesus says, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the towns that rejected my apostles that I sent. Or, we keep going in that same text, verse 13, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And so, there is actually a difference in the way that God views some sins. If you look at Jesus's ministry over and over again, this plays out because Jesus consistently had much more compassion and tenderheartedness and gentleness for those who were, 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 were lost in the sins of the flesh, if you will. Remember Jesus all the time eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and quote unquote sinners, it will say. But then Jesus having strong words of condemnation for the religious leaders who were hypocrites, who really didn't love God from their hearts. They were just in it for their own selfish purposes. They received a greater condemnation from Jesus than those other types of sinners did. And so there is actually a difference in the eyes of God. And the greatest condemnation, the greatest and strongest words that we we hear from the Lord and from Jesus especially is to the people who are religious on the outside, but on the inside, they don't care about God. That is what it seems God hates the most. And so we ask then, what's the positive side of this? Let's turn now to the kind of person that God praises. We've seen what it looks like to seek the praise of others. But if Jesus tells us to beware of performing our religion to be praised by others, what kind of person receives praise from God? And I don't mean worship, praise, worship. I don't mean that. I mean, what what kind of person receives the approval of God? What kind of person pleases God? What does it look like when God sets the agenda for our lives instead of other people? Who does God praise? Let me give you three examples here that go right along with what we're talking about in our text. Number one, God praises the one who seeks him in private. God praises the one who seeks him in private. Listen to Jesus' words about this exact thing in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In that chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus speaks of those who announce their giving publicly, 
They go out to give money and they announce it. They want everyone to know they are giving. Hey, I just wanted everybody to know I'm about to put my offering in so, so you know how holy I am. Jesus talks about those who love to pray where others can see them so that others look at them and, and say, oh, they, they are the most holy among us. And Jesus talks about those who fast, but they make it completely obvious when they do. They disfigure their faces. They want everybody to look at them and be like, oh, it must be so hard for you fasting. You must be so holy and close to the Lord. Jesus says of those who practice their righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, that they will have no reward from their Father in heaven. Why? Because they've already received their reward. They've already got it. They, they, they practice their righteousness in public. They receive praise from others. So they've already got their reward. Therefore, there is no reward waiting for them in heaven. But for the one who practices his righteousness in secret, for the one who practices their righteousness where only the Lord can see, there is a reward waiting for you in heaven because no one else could see. No one else could praise you for that. Which leads us right into the second kind of person God praises. God praises the one who seeks him even when there is no public benefit. God praises the one who seeks him even when there is no public benefit. Notice the widow there who gave two small copper coins. Everyone else is putting in large sums of money. No doubt some did so because they knew that they would be praised for it. And there would be people that, that say, look at how much he gave. Well, I wonder how much we can do now with that amount of money. It's so amazing that you gave a lot. We're praising you. And who gets the praise of Jesus? Not the ones who gave a lot. It was the woman who gave two small copper coins. The, the scene that it sets here is amazing because it says in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he just watched. He's just sitting back watching people put money in. And, and it, it seems like he's just observing. He's not doing much. He's not saying much. And then all of a sudden this widow comes in and puts two copper coins in that equal just a penny. And then he says to his disciples, come here, did you see that? Did you see that? And you can imagine his disciples saying, what, that guy who gave $1,000 or the equivalent? That guy? That, do you mean that? No. Did you see what happened with the widow? The, the lady who put in a penny? Yeah, did you see that? that? That is what's truly amazing. Because she gave all she had. She was not practicing her religion to be praised by others. There's no way she would be praised compared to those others who gave so much money, at least not praised by others, but she is the one who receives the praise of Jesus. You know, it used to be in America that you got points for being a Christian in the public square. It used to be in America that you got respect in the community, even from those who weren't believers, for being a Christian. Oh, that, that person's a Christian. They must be a, a good person. It used to be you got points for this. It's getting to where it's not like that anymore in America. You don't, you don't often get points for being a Christian anymore. In fact, in many places in America today, you get the exact opposite. You're going to get persecution, ridicule. ridicule. We, we were saying in our Sunday school class, this is kind of a good thing for Christians, that our, our, our culture is going this way, because now Christians read the Bible, and they see that their lives actually line up with what they're reading. Because in that day, you didn't get any points for being a Christian, not publicly. But 
I must say this. It's still kind of like that in Bible Belt small towns like ours, like Columbia. It's still kind of like that here, right? We're, we're, we're not as far down the line in secularization as the big cities in our country are, if you will. We're in Bible Belt America. We're still a small town. We're still insulated a little bit. And so you still kind of get public points for being a Christian. But brothers and sisters, God is not concerned with who is a good Christian in the eyes of the public. God doesn't care if you get points for coming to church every Sunday. It used to be anyone who was running for president had to attend church and had to be seen attending church. It's not so much like that anymore, but it it used to be. We remember how that was, many of us. God honors those, though, who seek him when there's nothing for them to gain, at least not in the eyes of others. It's not wrong to seek God because you want happiness that only he can give. It's not wrong to seek God because you want forgiveness. It's not wrong to seek God because you want to go to heaven. Those are good reasons to seek the Lord. Those are good things that you can gain from seeking God, and he wants you to. But it is wrong to do all the things a Christian does because you want praise from other people. Do you want God or do you just want the worldly benefits of religion? Third and finally, God praises the one who seeks him from a sincere heart. God praises the one who seeks him from a sincere heart. God honors and delights in the one who seeks him from a sincere heart. The person whose religion is not about show, but about true desire. It didn't matter to Jesus that the rich were giving large sums of money. What mattered was the widow who gave all she had. Friends, God does not care who knows all the right things to say and all the right things to do. God does not care who has it all together. And who looks cleaned up and professional and happy. God cares if you have a sincere heart that longs for him. That's what God cares about. God cares if you have a sincere heart that longs for him. Listen to the words of Isaiah 66 verse 2. And specifically, I'm I'm reading the second half of this verse. God says, these are the words of God. God says, This is the one to whom I will look. So this is is the kind of person that will receive praise from God. This is the one that God will look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the kind of person God's looking for. God is not looking for the person who has it all together on the outside. God is not looking for the person who everyone else thinks is the most holy. God is looking for someone. God is looking for people who are humble, who are contrite in spirit. Contrite meaning repentant. That you see your sin. You're looking your sin in the face. You come to God as a sinner in need of his grace and of the forgiveness of his son. And you tremble at his word. That you you hold this word in such high regard because it's God's word. That you tremble at it. 
That you want it. You want to know it. You want to apply it to your life. You want to live by it because it comes from Him. That is the kind of person the Lord is looking to. Now the good news of the gospel is this. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is ready to welcome with open arms not only the person who has been living in out-and-out wickedness, Jesus is ready to welcome with open arms not only the person who has been giving full vent to the sins of their flesh, but Jesus is ready and willing to welcome with open arms even those who have been religious hypocrites. Jesus is willing to welcome and forgive and restore even those who have been performing their religion for the praise of others if they come to him with sincerity and repentance and humility. That's all it takes to come to Jesus with humility and repentance and sincerity of heart. That is what he is looking for this morning. And so with that in mind, with that in our hearts and in our heads, let's spend a few moments now responding to the Lord in silent prayer. We're going to give you just a few moments right now so that every single one of us can go to the Lord And every single one of us can pour our hearts out to him based on what he has just put on our hearts through his word. And after we have this time of response where every single one of us is going to do so privately, then we'll have a time of public invitation where anyone who needs to respond publicly to God's word can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.